It is a delight to be with you, um, though I've not been in your uh, assembly before. I do have the privilege of knowing your pastor from his last year at the seminary, and uh, I got to know he and his family a bit as they lived just across the parking lot, and I could look out my office window and see uh, them and their children playing. And uh, I am delighted to be here. We, uh, having concluded that the Lord has called us, we have come to Colorado. And so please uh, continue to pray for us. Thank you for your prayer this evening. Open your Bibles, if you will, if you have them with you, which I hope you do, to Psalm 22. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses and some other texts throughout the scripture in this uh, question that I want to pose to you this evening. These are the words of Christ, as you know, the first part of that he uttered on the cross. But I believe all of the words of the psalm were on his heart and uh, perhaps even his lips uh, at, at that moment. I mentioned you praying for me. You met together, as you do, I suspect, week by week to pray before your evening assembly. You pray during your assemblies. You pray uh, in your homes, uh, individually, and as families. But why should God answer my prayers? Sometimes, perhaps, you've had that question in mind. Why should God answer my prayer? And sometimes, perhaps, you've even hesitated to pray because you thought, why, why would God answer that? Does God ever tell us to, uh, or does God say to us, why should I answer your prayer? As far as I have found in the study of Scripture, he doesn't ask that exact question. But there are warnings in the Scripture about when God won't answer our prayer. But we regularly see in the Bible God's people and God's own son giving God reasons why he should answer their prayer. And so I want to encourage you to consider giving God reasons to answer your prayer. Not because I want it, not even because I need it, and certainly not because I deserve it. Now, some of those can be at times a valid reason. We may have a genuine want. We may have a genuine need. We may say, God, I need this. And yet I want to suggest to you, starting in Psalm 22 and going uh, and looking at a few other ideas, uh, passages from Scripture, of reasons to give God based on God himself. Reasons based on God why he should answer your prayer. And I do want to note that this idea of this sermon was first preached to me uh, and others uh, by a pastor friend in Australia during my time there. Uh, I'm not preaching his sermon. I think both he and I were preaching God's sermon, and he might not recognize mine, and if he doesn't, that's okay. But let's read Psalm 22, the first 11 verses, as we consider this theme. Why uh, Give God reasons why he should answer your prayer. To the choir master... According to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted 
and were not put to shame. But I am a man, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Having heard from God and his word, please join me in your hearts as I lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do ask that you would speak to us this evening through your word and even through my words, but that we would not hear the preacher, we would hear the God of the word speaking to us. And so open our eyes that we might see you, that we might hear you, and change us where we need to be changed, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, work in us what is well-pleasing in your sight, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Give God reasons to answer your prayer. The first, and taken right from the text before us, is give God the reason that he would answer your prayer based on God's pattern. Based on God's pattern. That is what God has done. Christ's words on the cross, though he, he, he was forsaken, though he said, you're not hearing my prayers, what did he say in the context of that? In you our fathers trusted. To you our fathers cried. You delivered them. You rescued them. This is what you do, God. You are the God who answers the prayers of your people. That is your pattern. That is what you do. And so I'm, I'm praying to you, asking and expecting that you will continue to do what you have done. I am trusting you as our fathers did. I cry to you as our fathers did. Deliver me, O God. Rescue me as you rescued our fathers. Was Christ's prayer answered? No. And yes. He was not delivered from death, but he was raised victorious over death. And I think that helps set the stage for this thought of giving God reasons why he should answer your prayer. It's not merely so that your prayers will be answered as you hope, but so that you can know God better. For you, as Christ himself, must be willing to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Let me continue on this theme of prayers based on asking God to answer your prayer based on his pattern. I had the privilege of preaching uh, five times uh, at, at Springs over this summer. I didn't know at the beginning of this series that it was going to be a candidating series. Uh, that was the Lord's work and not my expectation. But I preached five times through Psalm 107. We just went sequentially through it. And Psalm 107, as you probably know, is a call to give thanks to God for what he has done for his people. And there's this repeated re refrain, repeated five times, let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful or his steadfast love. And the context for giving thanks in Psalm 107 is God's pattern. There's a second repeated phrase in Psalm 107, and repeated again five times. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. 
That is the pattern of the God to whom we pray. That when you cry to him in your trouble, he hears your prayer and he saves you in your distress. And I don't have time to go into all of the nuances of that. We know that his salvation is sometimes immediately, sometimes exactly the way we ask. Sometimes it's other things that God has intended that are even better than what we could ask or think. But the context of this repeated thanks is that God hears the prayer of his people in trouble. And so you and I can pray, Lord God in heaven, you have a pattern of hearing when your people cry to you and you're in distress. You have a pattern of saving your people from their distress. And so, Lord, hear me. Lord, hear us. Save us from this particular distress, I pray. Give God the reason that he would answer your prayer based on his pattern on what he does. Let me give you one more example from this one, and then we'll move on to the others. Uh, Psalm 107, verse 2. You're probably familiar with that. You sing it. Uh, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I sometimes don't sleep well. Uh, it's not unusual for me to wake up at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Don't call me after 8 in the evening, but you can call me between 2 and 5 in the morning probably. Um, not always. Thankfully, sometimes I sleep in. This morning I woke up and then was able to go back to sleep and was very thankful for that. But sometimes as I lie in bed awake, <laughs> trying to be really still so I don't disturb my wife in her sleep, and sometimes I'll get up and sleep in a, try to sleep in a recliner chair again so I don't toss and turn and awaken her. But often as I lie in bed trying to go back to sleep, the words of this psalm are in my heart and in my prayers and in my mind. Lord, I need to sleep. Lord, you give sleep to those you love. And Lord, you have shown me over and over and over that you love me. You've given me a good wife. You've given me work that I love, that I've left now to come and take up this call. You've given me us six grown and married children, 21 grandchildren, one of them not yet born. And so God, because you give sleep to those you love, and you have shown that you love me, that's your pattern, Lord, would you give me sleep? And even if my prayer for sleep isn't answered with sleep, I am greatly assured of God's love, which is even better than sleep. But now let me give you briefly five other reasons based on God himself of giving God reasons to answer your prayer. The second, based on God's person. First, based on God's pattern, what he has done. And these are not in some kind of order of importance, and there is some overlap, so don't uh, get too troubled by that. But again, it's hinted at in Psalm 22 and verses 2 and 3. I cry and I'm not heard, but you are holy. God is holy. God has a character of his person that we can continue to reach out to because God is holy, because of who God is. And the psalmist cried it out, and I believe Christ cried it out again in verse 11. You are the helper. There's no one else who can help. There's no one who can answer this need. And so we ask God, based on who he is, God, would you answer this because you're the Holy One? God, would you answer this because you are able to help? 
I think it's interesting that we live in a culture which is, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, self-help books abound, and many of the people that you work and live, maybe even in your family, are fairly content to say, I can do it. And many of the, much of our life, we can do it. God has given us abilities, and, and often the circumstances that we face are not insurmountable. But when those insurmountable circumstances come, let me encourage you to be alert to your unbelieving friends and family and neighbors and say, I know one who can help. I know one who is the helper that can help you in this trouble that you're finding, that you can't even help yourself. God is a God who can help. Let me look at a couple of other places. You're familiar, I think, with Genesis 18, uh, verses 20 through 25. Abraham had just been told that he and Sarah would have a son, and then God told him what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, that he was going to go down and hear if the wickedness of that of that place was as bad as it was reputed to have been. And Abraham began to negotiate with God for Sodom and Gomorrah. Would you, God, not destroy if there are 50 righteous? And then you know the account. 50, do I hear 40? Do I hear 30? Do I hear 20? Do I hear 10? Do I hear 5? But in the beginning of that bargaining, if you will, in verse 25, uh, Genesis 18, verse 25, we read this. Far be it from you to do so. Let me back up to verse 24. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you shall not the judge of all the earth, do what is just. Abraham was appealing to God on the basis of God's person. You are the judge of all the earth, and you will do what is just. Now, the interesting thing is God went on to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Not even ten righteous. We sometimes bemoan the wickedness of our city. And yet, thankfully, there are more than ten righteous. But the basis for Abraham's prayer that God would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah was based on God's person, that he is the judge of all the earth. And we have to keep in mind what happened. Abraham asked God, gave God the reason, God, you're the judge of all the earth and you will do what is right, so don't do this. And God did it. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Did Abraham know for sure what was right? No, but he knew that God did. And he knew that God was the God who was the judge of all the earth and that God was the God who would do what was right. And so he could pray with confidence, Lord, I think this is right. I think it's right that you would preserve Sodom and Gomorrah. But I know that you are the God who is the judge of all the earth. You are the God who will do what is right. And so you and I can pray something like this. Lord God in heaven, you are the judge of all the earth. You will do what is right. It seems right to us, Lord, and then we lay out our request. I mean, we're not going to pray for things that we think are wrong, but we have to submit to the God of all the earth, the God who do what is right. Lord, it seems right to us for this to happen. 
And it will only happen if it seems right to you. And so as the one who always does right, will you, I pray, answer this request? Give God the reason of his pattern, who he is, what, I mean, what he's done. Give God the reason of his person, who he is. And thirdly, give God the reason of his promises. Give God reasons based on God's promises. And I just want to comment, as I was listening to you and participating with you in prayer, I was encouraged to hear some of these reasons being given by some of you in your prayers to God. God, this is what you've promised. And so we ask you to do it. Now we need to be careful when we think about the promises of God because the Bible is full of particular promises for particular people for particular purposes in particular situations. And with promises for particular persons, we go back to God's pattern. <laughs> God, this is the way you promised so-and-so in the Bible, and this is what you did for them. And so on the basis of that pattern, I'm going to ask you to act and to work on my behalf. But also, we can look for general promises that are given to God's people for all of the time. And I think one of the most significant of those is what we summarize under the words, God's covenant promises. I will be God to you and to your children. In the Lord's providence in my first pastorate in Evansville, Indiana, we had a number of older people come to faith in Christ. And I remember conversations occurring over and over in which they would, they would bemoan the fact that they hadn't raised their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That they hadn't taught their children to love the Lord Jesus because they hadn't known to love the Lord Jesus. And they, as, they were, as they were concerned about that, I over and over went to them and said, pray for your children on the basis of the covenant promises of God. Ask God as he has become your God to be God to your children. And let me encourage you who are parents, whether you're parents of young children who are still at home or perhaps you have a similar circumstance where your children have left the home and either you didn't raise them in the Lord because you didn't know the Lord or perhaps they've even rebelled against that. I still encourage you to pray on the basis of God's covenant promises. God, would you save my children? Because you have said, I am God to you and to your children. And God, you have saved me. I don't deserve your salvation. My children don't deserve your salvation. But God, on the basis of your promises, I'm going to ask you to do what you have promised to do. Base your prayer on the promises of God or on the demonstration of the power of God to fulfill his promise. Over and over we find in the Bible, as the Lord said, as the Lord promised, as you have said, Lord, according to your word. I suspect that some of you children have gone to your moms and dads from time to time. We'll, say, we'll take dad for this illustration and have said, Dad, can we go to the zoo today? It's Saturday, Dad, and you promised that we could go to the zoo on Saturday. It's not unlike a child going to his father or his mother and saying, you promised. Now, now you kids need to be careful because you can be manipulative in that regard. And you need to understand that sometimes things don't work out as planned. Your parents might make a promise that they can't keep, but God won't. And so we can go to God as our Father in heaven and say, God, you promised. You promised, will you do this? Will you keep this promise? I think one of the most significant promises to many of us from the word of God, and may we never treat it tritely, 
but the powerful promise of Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God, you have promised to work all things for good. Will you work this particular thing? And I don't know you as a congregation. I don't know the particular things that you are praying for. Maybe it's difficulty at home or difficulty at work or sickness or death. God, you've promised to work for good everything for those who love you. You've caused me to love you. Will you work this for good? Pastor Freely mentioned Jeff and Tabitha Stuyvesant. If you've had the opportunity to follow the, the Caring Bridge site where Jeff has posted regularly the progress um, about that, each time he ends with a verse that in many ways summarizes the promises of God for the difficulty that they're facing. I don't know what God is going to do for Tab. But I know that she knows that God will work this cancer. And if it should be an earlier death than we think would be ideal, that God will even work that for good. And if it were to be that God would bring healing, she is at the moment cancer-free, but the doctors are concerned that's following a surgery. The doctor's concerned that her body will quickly not be cancer-free. But she knows that God will work for good. Everything for those who love him. It's not that everything is good. Bad things happen in this life, in this fallen world. But we ask God on the basis of his promises to answer our prayer. Give God reasons based on his pattern, based on his person, based on God's promises and Fourthly, based on God's program. Not just what God has done, but what God is doing. And for this, I call to your attention Acts chapter 4. And I won't turn there and I won't read it. But in Acts chapter 4, the apostles are in Jerusalem and they're preaching the gospel. And in this particular case, they healed this lame beggar. And for doing such a wonderful thing, they were arrested. And they were threatened. And this time, they were released. And they responded this way to God. Now, now, just full disclosure for a moment. I would have probably complained. That's not what they did. They said, God, the nations and the rulers will rage against Christ. But he is your king, and you will do all your holy will. And so, God, give us boldness. Involve us in your program so that we can be involved in the work that you are doing. And that should be our prayer as a church. God, we want to be about the work that you are doing. It's not just that we think of things to do. We do God's work in his church, and we ask God, as he is working in us, that he would answer in a particular way. And so, Lord, let us be involved with you as you build your church, the church here at Black Forest. Let us be involved with you as you save sinners. Let us be involved with you as you grow us up in Jesus. Lord, let us be involved in what you are doing in your program. And where we're not, turn us away and turn us back toward your program. The fifth reason that I'd like to give you 
is that we would give God the reason that he would answer our prayers on the basis of God's praise. We're going to sing in a few minutes from Psalm 67. God, show mercy to us. God, bless us. Why do we pray that? Well, because we like blessing and we need mercy. Well, yes, but no. Why do we pray it in Psalm 67? I hope you know. I'm not going to ask for questions. I don't think that's allowed or answers. But why does, the, why does the psalmist pray in Psalm 67 for God to bless them, for God to show mercy to them? So that the world would praise God. So the world will know God's salvation and all the peoples will praise you. God, would you answer this particular prayer so that you might be praised? And again, it's not my will, but yours be done. We may think in, if God acts in this particular way, then he will obviously be praised. And God might do just the opposite of what we're asking, and he'll still be praised. But we ask God to answer our prayer so that he will be praised. And isn't that what Jesus teaches us to pray in that model prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord, may your name be hallowed so that you might be praised. Would you give me today the bread that I need so that you can be praised as the provider? Would you forgive my sins so that you will be praised as the God who forgives and atones? God, will you answer this prayer so that you might be praised? We're reading through Ezekiel in our morning, reading in Springs church and we'll get to this text shortly but in Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 23 25 we read this when they came to the nations wherever they came they profaned my holy name in that people said of them these are the people of the Lord and yet they had to go out of his land but I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they come they came therefore say to the house of Israel thus says the Lord God it is not for your sake O house of Israel that I am about to act but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, even when, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God says to his people, you profaned my holy name, yet I will act. Not because of you, but because of my holy name. And I find comfort in that as a sinner. I find comfort in that as one who, who can't always say, God, I, I want this to happen so that you'll be praised. Sometimes I have to come to God and say, God, I acted in a way that didn't bring you praise, that profaned your name. And I ask you, because you have proven to be a God who acts for the holiness of your name, that even in my sin, you might be praised. You, your name might be blessed. God, don't do it for my sake, but for your sake, for the sake of your holy name. God, would you answer these prayers? And so we can go to God as we are repenting of our sin. When we can't say what we read in Psalm 7, Lord, look on the integrity of my heart, because... Apart from Christ, it's not there. And even though I'm in Christ, I've acted in, in integrity. There's got to be a better word for that. <laughs> but God, for your honor, 
for your praise, for your holy name, will you act and will you answer our prayers? The last of these reasons, and really in many ways the most significant, is give God the reason that he would answer your prayer based on God's paschal lamb. God's paschal lamb. I needed a pee. I could have said based on Jesus, but it would have thrown the whole pattern off. And it is the paschal lamb, the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And ultimately, that is the reason we give God for answering our prayers, isn't it? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All the things that we need for life and godliness, he will give us in Christ, if we ask in Christ. And so we pray, God, on the basis of Jesus, will you answer this prayer? And we often end our prayers in Jesus' name, amen. And that's not just a formula. It's a bold declaration that, God, you have given me Christ. And because you've given me Christ, I come on his behalf and I ask you in the name of Jesus to answer this prayer. Again, to speak to you children, maybe sometimes you've had to have something happen, but you haven't been able to say, on my own authority, on my own position, I'm asking for this. But sometimes maybe you've said, my dad asked if you would do such and such. My mom asked if you would do such and such. It's on the basis of the name of someone else. And when we pray, when you pray, when I pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Even if that's not the words of your prayer, it has to be the heart of your prayer. And in order for you to pray in Jesus' name, Jesus must be your Savior. You must know him as the one who has forgiven your sin. You see, God has no obligation to answer the prayer of the wicked man. We, we, we saw the blind man who was healed. We see that in John chapter 9. God answers this prayer of this man who you're saying is a wicked man, but God doesn't answer the prayers of wicked men. Now, I suppose you father, sometimes if a neighbor boy came by and said, hey, could I, could I have a sandwich? You know, or could I have a piece of that steak you're grilling? Maybe sometimes you would do it, but sometimes you say, go to your own dad. Go away. I'm not your dad. I'm not responsible to feed you. But sooner or later, you're going to feed your own children. You might, maybe you just give them a hamburger instead of a steak or a tube steak. But you have an obligation to them. And God has an obligation to his children who are his because of Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you ask in my name, I will do it. And so we ask on the basis of Jesus' merit. On the ask on the basis of Jesus' character. Often when we ask for victory in sin, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Lord, give me victory over this sin because of Jesus in whom I have victory. And help me live in that victory. Help me practice that victory that's mine. On the basis of Jesus' objectives. Don't say, I want this new Corvette and I want it in Jesus' name. We, we were walking out this afternoon and we came back and I said, Nancy, we need to start meeting the neighbors. And we should meet that neighbor because maybe he'll take us a ride in his Corvette. <laughs> now that's silly. God, will you do the things that Jesus wants in me? And pray on the basis of Jesus' king, kingship. Lord, in this matter, as best I know, I am submitting to King Jesus. As one who's submitting to him, I ask in his name. Ask on the basis of God's paschal lamb.
I'll just share briefly, some of you may know, whether you do or don't, a year ago, July 5th, I had a fairly severe bicycle accident. I uh, ended up in emergency room and then trauma and then in surgery. I lost my spleen and was kept open for 24 hours while they decided whether or not to remove my kidney, which had been severely damaged. It was a long, dark night of Ed's existence. <laughs> Most pain that I can remember having faced for 24 hours, I lay in that hospital bed, um, not remembering falling to sleep, but I know I must have slept because I woke up from time to time. And all through that night, I prayed three simple prayers all night long. These are the prayers that I prayed. Lord Jesus, suffer with me. Because that's what Jesus does. Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> Either ease the pain or strengthen me to take it. Because that is what the Spirit of God does. He helps those who Jesus has saved. And Father, care for me as your wounded child. Because that's what God does. That's God's pattern. He is, it's God's person. He's my Father. And He cares for His children. And I didn't have this sermon in mind during that night. But I had these ideas in mind that I could pray on the basis of God's pattern, on the basis of God's person, on the basis of God's promises, on the basis of God's program, on the basis of God's praise, and on the basis of God's paschal lamb. And let me encourage you to use these and similar reasons as you pray, as you're already doing, as I heard you tonight. You're praying for your studies, your future, for the church, for others in the church in particular needs, for your children, for your family, for your health, for your unsaved friends and neighbors and co-workers. Use these reasons. Maybe some of these verses, as you read the scripture, look for other verses. Look for other reasons that God's people are giving to God to answer their prayer. And then pray. And give God reasons to answer your prayer. Please pray with me now. Our Father in heaven, most of all, we ask that you would answer our prayers because of Jesus. But we do see who you are and what you have done and what you are doing. And we desire that you would be praised, that the prayers that we give that you would answer would result in a greater praise to you, God, as we're going to sing in just a moment. And so God bless these, your people. If any of them do not know the Paschal Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, convict them of their sin and of the righteousness that can be theirs in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Christ, hear and answer their prayers. And Lord, for all of us, whether we give particular reasons, might we have in our mind that because of who you are and what you have done, we can ask you to act. And we pray that you would be glorified when we ask and when you answer. And we pray this in the name of the Paschal Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus himself, our Savior. Amen. Let's sing a